At One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our trained comfort specialists are here to help improve the air quality of your home. So call 855-1HOUR or visit onehourair.com. Always on time or you don't pay independently owned and operated licensed in their respective state or county use your mobile phone to get seven minutes of non-stop news from the las vegas review journal seven at seven weekdays at 7 a.m and 7 p.m What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about outdoor hockey uh, this week on a very special preview episode. I am Ben Goats, one of your Review Journal Golden Knights beat writers. Joining me on the other line is my colleague, Dave Shane. Dave, how's it going, man? Good. We get to talk about Alex Tuck penalty killing this week. I'll be uh, I'm excited. I'm I'm all fired up for this one. I got I got a couple things to say about that. Let me tell you. Oh, yeah. We're going to dive just real deep into all the nuanced hockey talk uh, that you guys love. Uh, but we're also going to talk about the fact that, you know, the Golden Knights are going to play a game in Lake Tahoe in a couple days. And that seems pretty neat and worth remarking on. Uh, we'll also, of course, uh, go into the ins and outs of their first two games against the Colorado Avalanche, who are probably going to be their chief rivals for the potential West Division crown this year, and talk about a certain goaltender who's had a uh, pretty good stretch of play recently, one might say. But before we get into all that, I want to remind everyone that the Golden Age podcast is sponsored by One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating. Uh, we're very thankful that they've started sponsoring us the last couple weeks, so we hope you guys uh, can you know, give back to them a little bit for helping us out. Also, please remember to check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com. It's obviously a big week for the Golden Knights, which means it's going to be a big week for our content. We're going to have stuff covering uh, the outdoor game that the Golden Knights are about to play in every day until it happens on Saturday. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. Today, I've got a piece going over the history of NHL outdoor games. Uh, our colleague Ron Kantowski has a wonderful look back at the NHL's first outdoor game between two of its teams, which actually took place here in Las Vegas at Caesars Palace. So that's a really fun story that you guys are going to want to check out. And then, like I said, we'll have stuff basically every day until puck drop on noon Saturday. And of course, if you could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you guys do to podcasts, please do to this one. We would very much appreciate it. Uh, as I'm sure a lot of you guys can tell, I'm excited for this week's episode because our previous two installments were kind of dominated by COVID talk. Uh, the last time we recorded, we actually thought the night's game the following day, which was last Thursday, might not even be played against the Anaheim Ducks because center Tomas Nosek tested positive for COVID-19 and was removed from a game uh, in the second intermission. But that Thursday game ended up being played and the Knights have played every game on their schedule since. And they've been really interesting games. More recently, we've seen the Knights play the Avalanche twice, once on Sunday and then again on Tuesday, yesterday as we're recording this. And each team has come away with a one-goal victory. The Knights won 1-0 on Sunday in a second game of a back-to-back. -back. And then the Avalanche won 3-2 on Tuesday when center Nazem Kadri scored with 40.7 seconds left in regulation. Uh, I can't imagine what that finish would have uh, been like 
with fans that actually been in the building without fans. It was very weird and very kind of eerie just hearing everything just be dead silent despite it being uh, such an interesting play. Uh, but Dave, as I mentioned, I mean, these are two very good teams that I think we both think could not only compete for the division, but could compete for a Stanley Cup. So what's been your reaction to the series so far? I mean, it's been everything that it was built up to be. I mean, it's a little bit lower scoring, you know, not as sort of back and forth, um, not exactly North Division hockey. Like we seem to be getting uh, with the Canadian teams where every game is like 6-4, like 8-5 or some kind of crazy score like that. It feels like we've gone into the Wayback Machine and then, you know, it's like 30 years ago or something. So it's not quite like that. It's a little little tighter, a little cagier, which I think you would expect when two good teams sort of maybe nullify themselves and, and cancel each other out a little bit. But it's been really good. You know, like I, I made a comment to my dad the other day about that one nothing game. I and mean, that was like, that was a really good one nothing game. There are really boring, you know, one nothing games like that game uh, on the Sunday afternoon against Arizona when I believe it was William Carlson who scored really late. Like, that was a boring game the whole way. You're just waiting for something to happen. Sunday? Avalanche, that was an exciting one nothing game. So, you know, each team has sort of landed, I guess, a, a blow. If we're going to go to the fight, you know, uh, analogy, there was a really good fight between uh, Keegan Colasar and uh, Gilbert from uh, Colorado. Uh, both of those guys landed some really good shots. Uh, Colasar happened to land the best one. There was a right hand uh, at the end that really just like stopped Gilbert in his tracks and he wanted no part of him after that. I thought it was kind of funny. But that's the way the series has gone, you know, a back and forth, two really good teams uh, that have both proven uh, that that neither of them are going to go away. Yeah, it's been really interesting to hear kind of the players and uh, coaches involved talk about this series. I mean, Pete DeBoer used the word playoff feel basically right away after that one nothing game on Sunday. Mark Stone basically was straight out uh, yesterday being like, yeah, that's the best team we've played so far and they've played uh, almost every team in their division outside of the Minnesota wild. And I don't think uh, either of us expect them to play the wild and come away with being like, Oh man, the avalanche were something, but the wild were something else. I think, you know, it's playing out exactly how uh, we would expect, which is uh, kind of fascinating to think about the one element missing so far has been the fact that, Avalanche kind of star defenseman Kale McCarr, who was the rookie of the year last year, is already making his campaign to uh, potentially be a Norris candidate this year for the best defenseman in all of hockey. Has not played so far. He's expected, it sounds like, at this point to play in uh, the outdoor game on Saturday. But I guess just what are you expecting from the next two meetings, Dave? Because this is one of the night's two four-game series that they have during the season. So they have two more games against the avalanche. And of course they'll have four games spaced out against them later on in the season. But in this specific stretch, I guess, uh, what are you uh, expecting going forward? Probably a lot of the same. I think the avalanche obviously are going to get a little stronger. You mentioned McCarr, but you know, Gabriel Landeskog is probably going to come back uh, for that outdoor game. Um, I think maybe Tyson Jost is, was on that list that he's supposed to come back. I might be wrong on his name, but you know, as the series I guess if we use that term series goes along, you kind of figure the avalanche are going to get a little stronger just because of personnel and they're going to get some people back. So it's going to be something that as this, you know, Saturday and then when the Knights head 
to Colorado, they're going to have to up their game because Colorado is going to get better just just naturally in terms of their lineup. I thought I thought the games were interesting because I almost thought in a weird way the results were sort of reversed based on you know who should have won. I guess you could say. I thought on Sunday the Avalanche probably deserved something from that game at the very least a point, if not you know two. Thought they were probably the better team in that game, and you know Mark Andre Fleury did the job in the crease and you know earned the shutout. I thought the Knights, especially for the last two periods on Tuesday, controlled more of the play and and were able to create some chances, sort of get to their game, uh, you know, impose their their will a little bit on on the Avalanche and make the Avalanche sort of respect them and respond to them. We talk a lot about you know the Knights being able to match up with McCannon and all these sorts of things. Well, you know what? The Avalanche have to match up with some problems that the Knights present as well. I thought they did a good job in the last two periods. I thought, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, I've heard this from a couple people that Mark Stone sounded a little kind of sarcastic or whatever to one of our colleagues in his uh, answer last night, sort of, you know, I don't know what game you're watching. It might have been different than, you know, what I saw and nothing personal, but I actually kind of agree with Mark Stone. Like I thought for the last two periods, they they put it to the Avalanche as much as you can put it to a good team, which Pete DeBoer talked about. You're not going to control every minute of a game against a good team. They're going to push back too. So I think it's going to be a lot of the same. But with that said, I think the Knights are going to have to get better. I think they're going to have to tighten some things up and and elevate their game if they're going to get you know at least another two points out of this. I think if they get a split, you know, they can they can walk away feeling all right. Yeah, well, I'm certainly excited to see how this series will continue to play out, especially because game three is going to take place outdoors in Lake Tahoe in a very special event that the NHL is putting together. The Knights and Avalanche play at noon Saturday on NBC and then the Philadelphia Flyers and the Boston Bruins also play the next day, uh, this is all happening at Edgewood Tahoe Resort Golf Course. The rink has been constructed on the 18th fairway. It's right by, I believe it's the South Shore. So the lake itself is going to be in the background. Mountains are going to be in the background. Uh, this is basically the NHL wanted to come up with kind of a winter classic alternative because typically the winter classic is its big outdoor event that it does on new year's day and it puts tons of fans in the stands and obviously that couldn't happen this year so they decided to try something that they normally wouldn't be able to do and kind of do this more scenic outdoor experience dave you're actually going to uh, be going up there because you know we flipped a coin and i lost is how i'll choose to phrase it uh, just how excited are you to kind of check out what's what's happening there? Yeah, I think it'll be cool. I mean, all the other games that are outdoor are usually, you know, they're in a stadium. Uh, you know, sometimes it's a college football stadium or, you know, whatever it might be. But it's almost always in sort of a big structure like that. This is literally on the golf course, on the 18th fairway, you know, with the lake and the mountains and, and the whole, you know, Bob Ross painting, you know, basically as a, as a backdrop. I mean, it's totally different than any other outdoor game that they've, you know, ever tried to, I guess, create. It, it's got that whole mystery Alaska feel. And, you know, Steve Mayer, I think from the NHL, you know, their content officer and other folks, you know, have talked about that specifically, that movie and trying to, 
you know, sort of use that as inspiration, you know, to create something. I, I think it's cool. I, I'm, I wish there was a way to do it and like still have fans or something like that. And I know they, they can't, I, I think the fact that it's such a, I guess, made for TV event because of the way that the rink is being built and where it's being built and all that. I, I, maybe that's the one, I guess, if I'm, if I'm going to knock it or something, you know, I would say I wish there was a way to have fans. And obviously, you know, this, you know, being, you know, COVID-19 and, you know, coronavirus pandemic and all of that, that, that makes it tough. But I just, I think it's cool. I, I, I do want to see you know, sort of how it all comes together and just more than anything, just what it looks like, because I think it's just going to be all about the visual and, and more so than any other outdoor game. Yeah. I'm curious. Uh, I don't think we've discussed this a lot on the podcast because we haven't had a lot of reason to discuss it on the podcast, but I guess Dave, just what are your overall feelings on the NHL's outdoor games and the whole experience that the league has, I mean, really put into overdrive the last, you know, 14 or so years, starting with the 2008 Winter Classic. Uh, like them, love them. I guess, what are your overall thoughts on these things? I guess I'd say like. I mean, I don't love them. I mean, just because I'm me and I'm going to always find something to grumble about or whatever. But no, I think they're cool. Uh, I, you know, sometimes I... Sometimes I worry about when you have two points on the line and standings are so close because of the built-in parity that the NHL has with these, you know, three points on the line every game and everything that you're playing outside in elements with wind and it might be like literally 15 or 20 below and these guys are out rolling around and it might affect things later on in the standings. Um, you can't get the best ice and it might get a funky bounce or, you know, all those sorts of, but you know what? It's cool. It's worth it. Um, I, I like the winter classic. I think it's the closest thing to, you know, the NHL having sort of an event, you know, in season, um, NBA seems to have Christmas day, you know, Thanksgiving is the NFL, uh, even though, Bowl games seem to dominate New Year's Day. The NHL has something. They have that winter classic. You know, they have these outdoor games. I, I thought it was cool that they've done like the heritage thing up in Canada where they're playing at like CFL stadiums, um, different things like that. I, I, I'm all for spreading the game, uh, you know, trying to do different things to capture, you know, attention and, you know, recognition in the media, publicity and, and all the sorts of things that come with that. So, you know, if it does those things and I know, you know, Ed Graney, our colleague, you know, has talked to some folks this week and is going to be writing about that sort of the impact, you know, just growing the game and, and what it has, you know, an effect when you see it on NBC. It's going to be, you know, right smack dab in the, in the middle of the day for everybody to kind of see. And it's going to be unique and everybody's going to be talking about it. If they were talking about Golden Knights, gold helmets. They're certainly going to be talking about, you know, a game on a, you know, outdoor rink next to a next to a lake that, you know, Pierre Edward Belmer thought he was going to be able to skate on. At one hour air conditioning and heating, our trained comfort specialists are here to help improve the air quality of your home. So call 855-1HOUR or visit onehouraair.com. Always on time, or you don't pay time. 
Independently owned and operated. Licensed in their respective state or county. Look for 7 at 7 local streaming news from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Find it on your smartphone at the RJ app or it's available on Roku TV, Fire TV and Apple TV. Download the app and you're ready to go for 7 at 7. Oh, still one of the best parts of this whole experience was just getting Belmar's reaction on camera. And I'm with you. I'm honestly really intrigued to see how this kind of made for TV event, as you put it, actually resonates kind of, uh, you know, not just league wide, but nationwide and how many people they do get to kind of turn it, tune in just to see what Lake Tahoe looks like, because I think at least on the local level, these events are you know, really fascinating and really interesting and really fun. Um, so I was a senior in college at the University of Minnesota when there was actually a stadium series game at the Gophers uh, football stadium, TCF Bank. The Minnesota Wild hosted the Chicago Blackhawks. The Wild blew them out in front of like 50,000 pa- 50, fans, and it was really awesome. It was a really, really cool uh, experience. I didn't actually go to the game, but I was, you know, around uh, working on stories around it. I got to take a tour before the game happened and it was really cool and there was a lot of excitement around it because I was living on campus at the time and could uh, obviously tell that there was plenty of people there that were hyped about the game and so I think it really resonates on that level I'm not so sure that especially a lot of the the stadium series games that are not you know the marquee event the winter classic resonate on kind of more of a nationwide level where you know people all across the country are talking about them so I'm fascinated to kind of, you know, see what the temperature looks like of that for the Lake Tahoe experience, you know, Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, how many people are talking about it, you know, are the highlights on ESPN or whatever. But for, I think, you know, obviously people in Las Vegas and people locally, I mean, how could you not think this is cool? This is, you know, between the uh, scenery, the location, and obviously the opponent, this is about. Uh, as hyped up of a regular season game as you're ever going to see, probably at least locally. Yeah. And I think here's the other thing too, to keep in mind, since we're talking about, you know, the greater impact, there's a second game, you know, there's a game on Sunday with two teams, you know, Boston and Philadelphia. So it's all of this visual and everything that we're talking about and the local impact and what it does to grow the game here. You know, it's all good. It's, it's a whole weekend of this and it's going to get back to that East coast media. You know, so the Boston market's going to be covering it. The Philadelphia market's going to be covering it, not just on Saturday, but they're going to see it on Sunday as well. So it's it's a whole weekend for the NHL to kind of showcase itself. You know, and here's the other thing, too, that I found interesting. And I think this is this is a discussion I, I'd love to hear your side on because, you know, I grew up in California and I played hockey. And, you know, my experience was a lot of the, you know, you basically had to buy ice time almost, you know, you played on a club team and, you know, all those sorts of things. The outdoor game for us was on rollerblades, street hockey and, and that sort of stuff. I'll, I'll tell a quick story. You know, I have a friend, uh, I'm still friends with her. We dated in college. She's from Duluth. And one year we went back during the winter and I got to see Duluth in the winter and the kids like skating on the outdoor rink that that basically it's like the equivalent of what we think sort of in warm weather areas of like pickup basketball. It looked like just, you know, boards and stuff like out at the school and things kind of this permanent like outdoor rink thing. 
And everybody was out there skating around just, you know, like, like you would at the park bouncing a basketball and Hey, you want to play, you know, whatever. And, and so the culture of the outdoor game, I think for, you know, kids who grew up in Minnesota, kids who grew up in, you know, Michigan, Wisconsin, back East, you know, new England, uh, obviously in Canada and, and to hear Mark Stone talk about it, March. So, you know, all the players on the avalanche, that's the nostalgia. That's the, the real dr- the draw of this, especially for the players is just kind of the throwback and, and remembering to, you know, the love of the game. And when they, when they really first, you know, were just sort of attracted to hockey was playing outdoors with their friends. And so this game, I think is, is a chance for them to sort of revisit that in a way. Yeah, I totally agree. And no, I have so many good memories growing up in Minnesota, basically skating outdoors. There's a couple outdoor rinks by me when I was growing up and, you know, my dad used to take me, which was always really fun. I can remember, you know, skating a bunch, getting hot chocolate, uh, basically resting for like, you know, 10 minutes, sipping the hot chocolate, then going right back out on the rink. Um, it was always a lot of fun. And then in terms of, you know, kind of the basically the pickup hockey aspect that you're talking about uh, is definitely true because growing up, actually, and this is still the case, uh, my grandparents live on a lake and they used to basically construct an ice rink for uh, myself and my cousins every single year, which was awesome. And uh, it worked out for you know, my two of my cousins, they are now playing college hockey. I don't know where the talent, you know, drain kind of went there because <laughs> I certainly uh, did not get remotely as close to that level as them. But, you know, that's a lot of really fond memories for me growing up is, you know, is like I said, to get into kind of the pickup basketball aspect of it. You know, you throw on obviously, you know, snow pants, you throw on a big jacket, a scarf, you know, gloves, a hat, and then you just basically have a stick and skates and you just kind of go mess around on the ice and you try to stick handle around each other or do, you know, cool tricks or cool shots or whatever. And I thought that's why it was so interesting uh, when I asked Mark Stone about it the other day. And he's like, yeah, that's where you pick up your tricks of the trade. You know, it reminded me not just of basketball, but in like kind of, you know, in soccer, you hear about it of people just kind of going out and trying stuff uh, on the soccer field. And that's how you get kind of the creativity that guys like, you know, Messi have to just do stuff. And uh, obviously that's, I think, where that starts for a lot of hockey players is on those outdoor rinks, just kind of messing around with each other uh, in, you know, very fun, casual, informal games. And like I said, that's certainly a lot of uh, really fond memories that I have uh, growing up. Certainly there's, you know, a lot of games. I remember when I played organized hockey in my youth, but the stuff that you look back on and remember is really being special is like, as at the time, you know, my grandparents, uh, my grandpa literally, you know, shoveling snow off of the lake that he lived on so he could construct, you know, this makeshift rink and just stick a couple, you know, rickety, you know, rusted iron nets out that we could shoot at. And it was just always really fun to, you know, spend an afternoon doing. So like I said, I'm certainly going to enjoy the heck out of watching uh, players much better than me kind of mess around (laughs) on an outdoor rink again. And with uh, obviously, like we've talked about many times, the great backdrop, too. Well, I used to blast pucks at a uh, at a net made out of PVC pipe. So, you know, a little bit different. 
And the key, I think, at most of these is like no goalie because no one plays goalie in uh, outdoor hockey, right. or, uh, sh- shinny hockey, as Mark Stone calls it, you know, pickup hockey, whatever, because no one wants to play goalie in these situations. You just mess around, you have fun, and you score pretty much all the time, which is great. But speaking of goalies, we'll quick transition into our next talking point here, which is the fact that uh, one of the major storylines that is emerging this season is the fact that the Golden Knights goaltender is playing very, very well. And of course, I am referring to Mark Andre Fleury. So far, he is seven and two with a 937 save percentage and a 1.56 goals against average. That save percentage is fourth among goalies who have played more than one game. His GAA is third among goalies who have played more than one game. He has allowed one goal or less in five of his starts and two goals or less in seven of his starts. That is a lot of numbers to tell you. He's been really freaking good this season. Uh, Dave, I guess, what have you seen from him so far? What do you think has uh, really helped him, I guess, kind of uh, recapture some of his old magic, so to speak? All right, I'll save my Alex Tuck rant for another time. We can talk about goalies. <laughs> uh, no, I think, you know, you wrote about this. It was a question that I asked, um, something that Gary Lawless, the Vegas Golden Knights insider, had written, I, you know, that Marc-Andre Fleury is playing a little bit deeper in his crease this year. It's it's the one sort of, I guess, maybe technical adjustment if you're going to say what what is he doing differently, why is he playing better or something that, that maybe you can attribute it to. I think it's interesting, you know, it goes back a couple years when he first got here and working with Dave Pryor, and Dave Pryor kind of wanted him out on top of that blue paint, challenging guys, you know, you know, stay up on your feet as long as you can and and really sort of, you know, trust your your instincts and reactions. And this year he's a little bit deeper. And I think one of the sort of the counters, I guess, you know, in the scouting report, when you have a goaltender on top of his crease like that is to, you know, obviously use kind of cross ice passes. Uh, Washington Capital has used that very successfully in the Stanley Cup final. And we're able to beat Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, a handful of times in those situations. And so Marc-Andre Fleury talked about how playing a little deeper gives him a little better chance to get over, you know, and and maybe be able to make some saves when those passes get across. Um, I think, I mean, maybe he's just not being as aggressive. I think there were times, you know, especially maybe last year and the year before where he was, he was a little, I I guess, too aggressive and, and overplayed, you know, some, some shooters and some things. Uh, or this year, I think you can see a little bit more patience in him. I, I think some of the, you know, statistics reflect that, and it still allows him to be reactive and, and flop around a little bit and make the save like he did. Um, I can't remember who who was the uh, shoot. I'm, my brain is completely freezing, but he made that that save, kind of reaching back across um, on the goal line the other night um, against somebody, and it's completely losing me, but. But he's I mean, he's been he's been outstanding. And and like you mentioned, it's been a storyline that, you know, has dominated the NHL right now for the most part, sort of, you know, his comeback and, and what's going to happen. We've already heard a couple reports, you know, Bob McKenzie saying that the, the Penguins had inquired about you know, inquiring flurry or acquiring flurry, excuse me, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. And the Knights said no. Uh, Elliot Friedman in his 31 thoughts column. You know, kind of basically mentioned that he thinks Flurry is not available, which 
is essentially meaning he's not available. So it's just kind of it's an interesting storyline how this is all developed here, you know, a quarter of the way through the season, uh, you know, to see Mark Andre Fleury and, and essentially outplaying Robin Leonard at this point. No, definitely. And to go back to that last point quick before making additional notes, like, of course, Mark Andre Fleury is not available right now. He should not be available right now to all the people that are like, oh, well, they were tried to trade him during the offseason, which definitely did happen. Why wouldn't they be willing to trade him now? Well, it's because they figured out their cap situation now. The the primary reason that the Knights were looking to move on from Mark Andre Fleury earlier is that they were knew that they were going to be pressed up against the salary cap. They still wanted to try to find a way to sign Alex Petrangelo. And that was the easiest way to kind of make that work is, you know, they already had Robin Leonard locked up with an extension. So if you could move out Marc-Andre Fleury's $7 million and not spend $12 million on goaltending, that could be a way to free up room to sign Petrangelo. Well, they figured out another way because they weren't, you know, able to trade Fleury. So they ended up trading Paul Stasny and Nate Schmidt. They figured out their cap situation. And now that you're in the middle of the season, I don't think if you're a contender, you should ever be trading away goaltending, especially good goaltending. It's like a Major League Baseball team trading away an ace starting pitcher in the middle of the season just because they have two really good starters. Well, you might need both. And obviously you can you know, use a rotation in baseball and you can only play one goaltender per game in hockey, but you never know what's going to happen. And it pays to have depth. The Knights obviously learned that last year because they added Robin Leonard basically just to have depth, and he ended up becoming their starting goaltender and performed very well in the playoffs. So I certainly would not expect uh, Fleury's name to pop up in trade rumors until you know maybe the offseason when he has one year left in his deal. But certainly I don't think it makes sense for the team to try to trade him in the middle of the season. And then the other point that you made that I think is interesting in terms of you know, him playing deeper in his crease is that is what Robin Leonard does. Robin Leonard is a guy that plays back a lot more. And that's what made kind of their, you know, battle for lack of a better word. So interesting last year is because they were pretty much opposites stylistically, but now flurry is kind of taking a page out of Leonard's book to recapture some of his form. And, you know, I'm curious to how much do you think, He's maybe being influenced by Leonard or at the very least realized now that he's got someone in the same kind of crease as him that can be a legitimate competitor for playing time, how maybe that's just causing him to up his game a little bit too with the internal competition. Yeah, probably all of the above. So just real quick, I want to go back to, um, I, it was the save on uh, Isaac Lundstrom oh, yeah. uh, of Anaheim. Um, that was the one I was talking about, kind of. He had come across on a two-on-one, and Flurry kind of reached back uh, along the goal line and made a save. And I think Alec Martinez even mentioned that it was one of the best saves that he'd ever seen. Um, but to your point, yeah, I do. I think I think everything that happened in the postseason, uh, you know, the motivation that that he got from sitting, uh, the motivation that he probably felt to not be a backup. Um, Pete DeBoer was actually on the Jim Rome radio show today, Wednesday, as we're recording this, and. You know, made a made a similar comment that, that to his credit, Marc Andre Fleury didn't just settle or submit to being the backup. That he has a lot to prove. Like, if there's one thing that we know about Marc Andre Fleury 
from three plus years here of covering him and seeing, you know, seeing him with the Knights is how just flipping competitive the guy is in everything. Like he just doesn't like to be scored on. He doesn't want to be bad at anything. You know, he just wants to win. And, and so I think it burned him that he didn't play well last year. And, you know, not to get too much into this because, you know, it's personal and, and I don't like to really, you know, delve into it too much. But, you know, look, he, his father passed away. And that can't be easy. Like not anybody that's gone through that and, and as close to his dad as it sounds like he was, like you don't get over that quickly. And and he had a week or whatever and he came back. And, and I think we could all tell. You know, that it, it, he wasn't the same person. He wasn't laughing the same way, smiling the same way, you know. And then I think just everything, being in the offseason and coming back to the bu- bubble, giving him a chance to go through the offseason, you know, again and just get his head right and, and get motivated. Like you said, that I think that's the best word. I think 36 years old, he wants another run at a Stanley Cup. I think he feels like, at least for right now, his best chance at it is is here in Vegas. So he wants to be here. The Golden Knights feel like their best chance at a Stanley Cup is with, you know, that goaltending duo. Like you mentioned, they built their roster around having those two guys. At some point, it's going to probably come down to one guy or the other, you know, in the playoffs. They can't play both games. You know, somebody's got to go. So you, you pick who's playing the best. You ride him if he needs, you know, a break if he's not playing well then you go to the other guy that's the luxury that you have but you know for right now i just i find it so fascinating because mark andre fleury at least to me has clearly outplayed robin leonard going back to training camp so if and when robin leonard comes back and you know is healthy and ready to go you know and if mark andre fleury is still playing well how is pete DeBoer gonna gonna do this is he gonna go back to that 50 50 split or is he gonna continue to ride you know, flurry until maybe he needs a break. No, it'll be really fascinating to see. And I think it's obviously a credit to Mark Andre Flurry that he put himself in this position uh, because, I mean, you said it, he's 36 years old. A lot of guys would kind of stick to their guns at that point. But the fact that he is adapting and changing his game, even now, I think speaks to, as you said, how competitive he is and how flexible he is, both. Uh, in his mind and uh, in his body because he continues to make saves that I just can't comprehend from a stretching standpoint. Uh, I want to touch on one last thing before we go and I'll make it quick. It's just, uh, you know, I previously mentioned Alex Puck penalty killing. No, oh. didn't make the cut. We'll put it on next week's show if he keeps it up. But I mentioned, you know, earlier that we spent kind of two previous episodes of the show talking about COVID-19 a lot and the fact that the Golden Knights were dealing with it. Uh, figures that since we talked about it when things were not going so well, we should talk about it when things at least seem to be going pretty well. This week, uh, the NHL implemented a bunch of new me- measures after Nosek was pulled from that Ducks game, including rapid testing is now uh, commonplace across the NHL. And things across the league have really calmed down over the last week or so. The number of players in the protocols keep going down and down. Teams are you know, coming back from pause and playing again we've seen uh the sabers devils wild and of course obviously the avalanche come back and play games i believe the flyers are scheduled to come back and play games before the outdoor game on uh for them sunday and so 
things are looking a lot better for the NHL. So hopefully that continues, but that's going to do it for this edition of the golden edge podcast. As a reminder, we are sponsored by one hour air conditioning and heating. We appreciate their support. We hope you guys do too. Also, please check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com. As I've said previously, we got a lot of good stuff coming this week. A lot of stuff we've already teased for you guys, but hopefully uh, that just gets you excited for the stories that have yet to come this week because there will be plenty of them. Uh, Dave's going to be in Tahoe. Our colleague Ed Graney is going to be in Tahoe, and I'm so, so excited to see uh, what those guys see. Uh, Until then... I am Ben Goats. He is Dave Shane. We are the Golden Edge Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe if you can. And we'll talk to you guys again real soon. At One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our trained comfort specialists are here to help improve the air quality of your home. So call 855-1HOUR or visit onehourair.com. Independently owned and operated. Licensed in their respective state or county. Please check out our new 7 at 7 newscast weekdays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Get every bit of local news you need in seven minutes from the Las Vegas Review Journal.